Hey guys, thanks for joining us for this 135th episode in Season 2 of Good Questions with Cameron Dole. Special guests on this episode include Forrest Galante. He's got a new series, Mysterious Creatures with Forrest Galante, which will premiere this Sunday on Discovery. We'll also visit with Dr. Sanjay Gupta, his new book, World War C. Lessons from the COVID-19 pandemic and how to prepare for the next one is now available. We'll also visit with country singer and songwriter Kevin McCoy. We'll talk about his new single, Blue Collar. We'll also share our monthly visit with our good friend Meathead Goldwyn. We'll be talking about salt and some fall veggie grilling ideas as well. We'll also visit with music mogul Jason Peterson. We'll talk about streaming music, also streaming versus traditional cable systems as well. And we'll visit with our good friend country singer-songwriter Paige King Johnson. We'll talk about her new single and video for Baby Don't. Plus, she'll also play an acoustic for us as well. If you would, please take the time to subscribe, comment, leave some feedback, check out the shop, and share with your friends. Now, the only thing worse than a dangerous TikTok trend is one that comes back for another round of punishment. Have you heard about this scalp-popping trend yet? Well, it went viral around the holidays last year, and apparently it's seeing a resurgence. The idiots risking this need to have fairly long hair to do it. Basically, someone takes a chunk of your hair, twists it around their finger, and yanks. But the point isn't to rip your hair out, it's to separate your scalp from your skull. Now, there is a popping sound, and ignorant teenagers think it's great for some reason. But that sound is the soft tissue under the skin literally separating from your skull. Now, doctors are telling people not to do it because, well, duh. But also because it can cause bleeding under your scalp or create a sore on your head. Good to have Forrest Galante back on with us. Got a new series to talk about that's going to premiere this weekend. It's called Mysterious Creatures with Forrest Galante. I guess he was a shoe-in for it. Uh, first off, Forrest, always good to visit with you, sir. Damn it, thanks for having me, man. Great to be back. <laughs> now, now, Forrest, tell us about the, the new show, and I've already checked out the trailer and all, and uh, it, it gets a little dark and uh, a little scary, doesn't it? The new show, Mysterious Creatures with Forrest Galante, is super fun. Uh, you know, last time we spoke, I was doing a show called Extinctor Alive, also for Animal Planet. And the premise of that show was looking for animals that could that are, have been declared extinct. Could they still be out there? Well, this show sort of expands that universe a little bit. And the idea behind it is that we're going to try and attempt to tackle extinction before it occurs. It's digging into the myths and misconceptions of wildlife around the planet and really looking at the human-wildlife conflict that is caused because of those misunderstandings and, and attempting to resolve it in some cases. So it's, um, it's an awesome experience, incredible adventure all around the planet with some amazing animals. And Forrest, what is, what's the thing that ties all of these, uh, all of these stories together? What, is there something that kind of makes each of those kind of stick together and they all kind of fit in, if you will? absolutely misconceptions, right? Not having a, a clear understanding of animal behavior and, and honestly, quite frankly, fearing those creatures. And when humans and animals don't get along, it's the animals that always lose. But going down, going in there, breaking down those stereotypes and attempting to resolve the problem. 
And for you, you get to go all over the world. I know you, you talk Mozambique uh, and even in Missouri. And my, my question, the Ozark Howler, I, I've, I've got to know, what is an Ozark Howler? You know, that stumped me, too. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I, I got there. I did, because I'm not into Bigfoots and Chupacabras, right? And when I heard this story, my whole the whole premise of this new show is when you hear these legends get to the biological truth behind them, and I got there going, all right, we'll figure out this Ozark Howler thing pretty quick. It wasn't until about a week into the investigation that I sort of dug into finding, and this is a tidbit for your listeners that most viewers won't get, that the Ozark Howler was most likely a combination of uh, bootleggers that had been um, perpetuating the myth uh, during Prohibition, as well as the extinct North American red wolf, which, um, you know, had been around during that era. And as their population were driven lower and lower, they would howl more and more. So between these moonshiners perpetuating the myth and actually recreating the howls and the actual North American red wolf howling to locate its mate, this mysterious creature was born. And the truth was it was an incredibly beautiful rare animal that used to run throughout Missouri known as the North American red wolf. Wow. You're breaking, you're breaking news with us this morning. I'm trying. Yeah, I'm trying. And Discovery is probably going to give me a slap on the wrist after this, but I'll take it because it is, <laughs> uh, it's very exciting. Now, uh, we, we, I've seen footage of you being in different places, underwater, uh, on land. What, what are the ones that kind of take you a little bit more out of your comfort zone, if you will, for us? You know, heights are my least favorite. I, I, I love diving. I'm a dive master. I'm a free dive instructor. Uh, I, there's not an animal on land that I have an issue with, not one bit. But when it comes to heights and I have to jump out of planes or do those repels, it always gives me a little lump in my chest saying, don't do this. You know, it's like the one thing. I'm not one of those nut jobs that wants to wingsuit everywhere or whatever. I, I just don't like the heights. So it's not about the animals. It's not about the environment. It's just about the height for me. Have you noticed a different, what's the biggest thing that you've noticed in maybe some of the requests that you guys have gotten over the last couple of years for us? I know things have slowed down a little bit, but has that maybe made people see uh, see things a little bit more than maybe they had before? You know, pa- pandemic or no pandemic, wildlife needs help no matter where you are in the world and no matter what's going on. So the requests never slowed down while travel became more difficult. Um, it didn't really stop the need for wildlife to be protected and, and be helped. And so I, I now sort of have this backlog of things like this crocodile in Indonesia that I need to go and sort out and rescue. But Indonesia is still closed. You can't get in there, even today, with COVID. And so there are, there's sort of this laundry list of, or backlog of things that I need to go and deal with as soon as I am able to. That is good stuff. And again, the uh, the new series, Mysterious Creatures with Forrest Galante, is going to premiere this Sunday. And uh, Forrest, I always want to make sure if folks have any questions, want to find more about the show, uh, your writings, uh, your social media, all that, where's the best place to catch up? Yeah, I have all the regular social media channels these days. You can just look up my name, Forrest Galante. I, I've got a new book out called Still Alive, um, which really digs into how we got into doing this kind of work and, and my background. And, uh, you know, I'm always reachable. There you go. Well, Forrest, it's always great to visit with you, sir. Looking forward to the new series and uh, and catching up again real soon, my friend. Thank you so much. 
Now, a lot of criminals will make one very stupid decision. Others will employ a Swiss army knife of stupidity, and that's the case here. Three carjackers attempted to steal a car in Virginia on Tuesday. Now, the first interesting decision was attempting the theft outside of a gym. Now, one of the thieves was able to get the keys from the owner, but the owner was trained in mixed martial arts and he fought back. Now, the guy who grabbed the keys got inside the car, but he couldn't do anything because it was manual transmission and he didn't know how to drive a stick. So all three carjackers retreated to their own car and drove off. Now, it wasn't long before the police were on their tail and they decided to lead the cops on a high-speed chase. Eventually, they pulled over and ran into the woods. Now, the cops caught up with them and they yelled at the guys to stop or they'd unleash the canine unit. Two men gave themselves up, but the third tried to run, but he didn't make it 50 yards before the dog dragged him to the ground. Now, all three have been hit with an array of charges. All right, guys, promised you another very special guest, uh, a, a family member of our stations here. Uh, of course, we have a better life with Dr. Sanjay Gupta. We've got his new book to talk about today, World War C, Lessons from the COVID-19 Pandemic, How to Prepare for the Next One. And Dr. Gupta, always good to visit with you, sir. What a pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's nice to be a member of the family. <laughs> now, now, World War C, how hard was this one to put down on paper? I mean, was, was there times and things that you were just like, man, it's so heavy out there, but uh, this info still has to be shared, though, right? Yeah, well, thank you for asking that. You know, I, I, didn't, I hadn't really thought about um, just the, the difficulty of, of writing it. I, I, what I wanted to do was to, I think it's a very, um, it's an optimistic book. I think it's really based on the idea that I kept hearing over and over again that so much of what has happened these past two years did not need to happen, did not need to cause this level of, of misery and pain and destruction. And, and I think that you got to be real specific in the strategies and the prescriptions to prevent this from happening again in the future. So that, that's what I really wanted to, to write about. It, 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 what we went through does not need to happen again. I think part of that is a is a policy issue. Like I think we think of of pandemics or new viruses sort of like weather events, like a hurricane. It's going to come. We got to hunker down. There's nothing you can do about it. And the philosophy that you hear from a lot of people is that think about this more from a defense standpoint. How do we think about protecting the country from a defense standpoint? If you think about viruses that way, you you start to react very differently. You you you're much more prepared and do a lot of planning ahead of time. And they even put a price tag on being pandemic proof. They said basically for about 30 bucks per citizen, the country could be pandemic proof, not really uh, um, pr pretty well protected from this sort of thing happening again. How do we get there? That's, that's what World War C is all about. It's that prescription, both at a policy level, but also an individual level, our own health. How do we make sure we put our own health in a position where we have the highest immunity ourselves. People always say, I want to boost my immunity. What does that mean? How do you do it? I wanted to learn too for myself and my family, my loved ones. And I got it all. I learned a lot and I put it in the book. Now, Dr. Gupta, do you think that uh, the lack of knowledge or maybe the overabundance of misleading information, do you think that played a big part in this carrying on as long as it did? I really, I really do, and I think I'm probably, you know, living at a point where I've been a journalist for 20 years, and I've seen so much change over the last 20 years. And I think, you know, we're in a different period now. 
than we were a couple decades ago. I think there's always been misinformation out there. I think what has changed is that it's much harder to distinguish good information and bad information. And there's also not just misinformation, but there's disinformation. And disinformation is, is, is bad information that's put out there strategically uh, to, to really create doubt and, and create chaos and things like that. It's really hard. I mean, you go online you can, and you search for anything you want, and you can find evidence of anything you're searching for and have confirmation bias. See, there it is, right there. I'm reading an article about it, right? That's the kill you. Uh, no question about it. Everyone who's taken one has died. Um, it's, it's that sort of stuff. And it's remarkable to me because I, you know, I think there's, there's, there are people out there who are just trying to sow chaos. But I think for a lot of other citizens who are just worried about themselves and their families, they sometimes have a hard time understanding what to believe. And that's made it, that's made it really challenging. I never believed, you know, in December of last year when these vaccines were authorized, and it was such a celebratory event. It was such a triumph of science. And it's like, you know, the, the vaccines are going to rescue us from this terrible pandemic. I would have never thought that a year later, 10 months later, that still half the country wouldn't be vaccinated. That, that's, that's just because of human behavior, not because of science. And we have to acknowledge that. And that's part of, you know, World War C as well. It's like you have to account for human behavior in these situations. Don't just count on the objective data or science. You've got to count on how people are going to react to it. And Dr. Gupta, what is your biggest takeaway from the way we've dealt with COVID and the pandemic? What is maybe the biggest eye opener that you've seen? I think the, the, the two biggest things, just on a human behavioral standpoint, I think from a policy and, and sort of global perspective, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said there. But I think two things. One is that just how people interpret risk. Even yesterday, I was having this conversation with a few colleagues. If I tell you something is 0.5% lethal, 0.5%. There's a certain percentage of people who will say, wow, so you're telling me one in 200 people are going to die of this. We better be careful. You know, we better really protect ourselves. And you'll get another group of people who will say, so we're 99.5% good, right? What's the big deal? Same objective data, very different subjective interpretations. And to be fair, you know, if you're, if you're someone who can work at home and do Zoom calls and things like that, you're probably far, willing, far less willing to accept a 1 in 200 chance of dying. If you have to be out there, frontline worker or whatever it may be, then 99.5% good is, is, sounds much better, right? I think that's a big one. And then I think the second one is just the United States was supposed to be the best prepared country in the world for a pandemic. That was what the, the indexes showed before this pandemic. And what you found was that, in part, wealthy countries got hit the hardest, as a general rule, this pandemic. Wealthy countries. That doesn't make any sense to people, right? You got more resources. You can spend money on, on vaccines, personal protective equipment, all this sort of stuff. But it really was the, the diseases of affluence, heart disease, diabetes, obesity, that were significant risk factors for this. And that's not to, to shame or malign or any of that. It's just to acknowledge the fact that many of these things that we've been dealing with as a country, and wealthy countries deal with more so than poor countries, are significant risk factors for potential future pathogens. So we spend $4 trillion on healthcare every year. If we took just a percent of that and said, hey, look, we're, we're just going to be really serious about not just taking care of a heart attack after it's happened, but we're going to be really serious about preventing these things, not just in, in language, but for real. 1% of our healthcare budget 
we probably prevent 50 to 60% of, of illness in this country. So this hopefully serves as a wake-up call for that as well. And again, that new book, World War C, Lessons from the COVID-19 Pandemic and How to Prepare for the Next One. Dr. Gupta, I always want to make sure and let folks know where they can find the, the book. It is available now. And then, of course, everything you've got going social media-wise as well, my friend. Well, th- thank you very much. Yeah, you can, you, know, you can buy the book at most bookstores and Amazon. And, uh, you know, follow me on, on Twitter at Dr. Sanjay Gupta on Instagram. And, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'll just keep writing and putting information out there. I always try and put information out there in a way that I easily understand it, my family can easily understand it, and I hope that if people get a chance to read it, they can understand it as well. That's right. Well, Dr. Gupta, always great to visit with you, sir. I, I hope you have a great rest of your week and look forward to catching up again real soon. You got it. Thanks for having me. Now, not all sounds are free. And here we came up with a list of sounds that you've heard that you might not have realized are actually trademarked. They are number one, the Mockingjay whistle from the Hunger Games. Number two, the two note gong on Law and Order. Number three, Homer Simpson's dope. Number four, Darth Vader's breathing in Star Wars. Number five, yeah, the sound of the lightsabers too. Number six, Tarzan's yell as heard in the 1932 movie Tarzan the Ape Man. Number seven, the Aflac Ducks Quack. Number eight, AOL's You've Got Mail Greeting. Number nine, the Pillsbury Doughboy Giggle. Did you know his officially name is actually Poppin' Fresh? I did. And number 10, the Ticking Stopwatch from 60 Minutes. Got a new single we'll be talking about, plus uh, coming out of pandemic, what it's like as a musician as well. Kevin McCoy from the Kevin McCoy Band. And first off, Kevin, great to visit with you, brother. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Now, like I mentioned, we were we were digging into the uh, into the single before we started the interview, and uh, and we had some pretty good feedback from it too, and shared that with you a little bit ago. What what has the feedback been like for you so far with Blue Collar? Uh, it has been. Tremendous. Uh, everything positive. People are really enjoying this song and can relate to it, which is exactly what I wanted when I wrote that. When I wrote, when I wrote this, excuse me. Now, how has how has the songwriting been for you this uh, this last couple of years? Was this written pre-pandemic, or was this uh, was this inspired in that off time as well? Actually, this song was written right before the pandemic, um, and. Uh, which I was lucky to, you know, to get that in because it was pretty close to uh, what March twelfth or whatever day we we uh, stopped uh, being normal, um, the the new normal that we know now. Um, so I was lucky in that regard, and uh, just took my time with production and things like that. What has been the coolest thing now as things are opening up? I know, I know there's still precautions in place. What's it like now for the for the fan? What do you see different in the fan today? Well, it's funny you ask that. Uh, the difference is it's almost like a, there is no tomorrow uh, kind of mentality. Um, people are more lively. Um, people are more energetic when it comes to even regional acts like myself um people are excited to get out um i think and and that's 
being a musician, I love it because, you know, I have been on stage where everybody's looking at me like I'm in a zoo, uh, you know, and nowadays they're a little more lively, uh, you know, YOLO and things like that. They're just uh, a little more fun. Crowds are a little more fun. Now, Kevin, where did where did the music come into your life in the first place? Where were you first introduced to the love of music in your life? Well, I will tell you, uh, music's always been in my wheelhouse. It's always been around me. Um, uh, I believe I remember listening to Boxcar Willie at the Grand Ole Opry, and I turned to my parents and said, that's what I want to do when I grow up. <laughs> yes, and they were like, you want to dress like a hobo? Like, oh, uh, just, just kidding. Um, but uh, I went to like a performing arts school, kind of like a fame school, um, when I was in elementary school, and then I just kept going. I was in musical theater and things like that because, you know, uh, back in the '80s, there really wasn't any place to, you know, there was there was no voice, uh, American Idol, things like that. Um, so. Uh, you know, to be on stage, you, you pretty much had to do musicals and, uh, you know, things like that, touring companies. Um, but, uh, you know, but I wouldn't change it for, for anything. Um, it, it landed me where I'm at. But I've always I've always been active in, in music, that's for sure. Um, growing up as a kid, uh, you know, all my friends listened to Michael Jackson and, you know, Lionel Richie, things like that. And at my house, I was listening to Tanya Tucker and Conway Twitty and Kenny Rogers and, of course, Elvis. So a uh, broad spectrum of music, which I believe most people are like that. And I, and I know that you've had the opportunity to, to open for some for some great artists. And whenever you get the chance to open, what is what are some of the things that you're hoping to pull from those opportunities and those experiences as well? Well, one, fans, uh, you know. The more people I get in front of, uh, the more pe- the more you know possible fans that I, I can get. Um, but um, usually, it's the things not to do. You know, um, that's my favorite thing to ask. Uh, you know, like Tracy Bird and um, Eddie Montgomery, who's a, a Kentucky guy, and uh, the, the the funny stories. And now they're funny. You know, when they happen to these fellas. It wasn't so funny, right. um, but the success that they've had, you know, you know, they're like, well, I'm going to tell you, buddy, you know, <laughs> and the stories, I'm like, wow. So uh, I guess we're lucky. Um, the, uh, us independent artists are a little lucky. <laughs> and Kevin, what was it like the first time back after having to take time away for the pandemic, not being able to play a show? What was it like taking that stage for the first time again? Oh, it's it's uh, actually undescribable. I I was so thankful and so relieved to be back on stage. Um, and uh, I think one of the first big shows was we played uh, at the uh, Kicker Country Stampede in Kansas, uh, Topeka, and um, which I gained a lot of fans from Oklahoma. <laughs> Which was fantastic. Uh, yeah, man. Um, but that was, it was just like, just so refreshing to see people back um, together, um, not being so 
afraid because there for a while I'm, I think that most people were afraid to you know go out and things like that but um hey the sun the sun came back out and uh you know we were together again I was just ecstatic and like I said relieved um <laughs> there for a while it was very bleak now how has that time affected how you've changed or, or set goals moving forward maybe for the rest of 2021 how has how has the goal setting changed for you well i tell you what we uh we kicked the fire up that's for sure um you know we we put the pedal to the metal uh me and my team uh we're not sitting back waiting to release songs we're not sitting back waiting for people to contact us to go play we're really going after it um and every single time i'm on stage i leave it all out on the table um because i think the the people that come out to see us now they they deserve that yeah. they deserve every single ounce of energy me and the boys in my band have you know that is right now, Kevin. Uh, if uh, if folks want to keep up with, uh, I know we got we talked about the the new single "Blue Collar." If they want to keep up with that, the uh, the other music, yeah. your upcoming tour dates and all that. Where's where's the best place for folks to keep up with it? Uh, you can check out www.kevinmccoyband.com. Um, we have Instagram. We have, of course, Facebook. We have all the social media. Things I even started doing TikTok and I don't really understand it, but uh, <laughs> I don't think trying. anybody does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's one of those funny things in life. Uh, and I, I kind of get sucked down the old rabbit hole once in a while with that. Like, yeah, it's been an hour and a half. I've been on TikTok for an hour and a half. It, it's just like the old Facebook hole you go used to go down to, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, social media has, has taught me patience and um, has taught me regard, I guess, you know, because uh, it's very easy to lose yourself in the, and, and lose uh, track of time while uh, sitting there staring at your phone, watching the world go by. That's right, but we couldn't live without it. No, oh, I don't see... <laughs> The, the young kids anymore doing that. I tell you what, it's funny because uh, I was walking down the street in Nashville, Tennessee, just the other day. Uh, one of my buddies was playing down Broadway, and uh, I was walking down the street, and I was looking at just, you know, like a panoramic view of everyone, and I'd say 80% of the people were staring down at their phone while walking. <laughs> and I thought to myself, if the good Lord Jesus came back down, everyone would miss it because they're staring at their screens. There's a song to be written there, Kevin. <laughs> hey, you know what? That is. That, that is a, at least a line. Well, again, the uh, the new single, Blue Collar, be sure and check it out. And you can also, like he said, visit him online at KevinMcCoyBand.com. Kevin, been great to visit with you today, brother, and uh, look forward hey. to hopefully catching you face-to-face real soon. Yeah, I, uh, I have uh, a handful of uh, fans in Oklahoma saying, hey, we have a place for you to stay, man. Come on out here, Hoss. But, uh, <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, I want to personally thank you on behalf of my team and my radio team, Tribe, uh, for one, spinning Blue Collar, and two, supporting all the artists, not just me, but all the Music Row artists and being such a uh, big part of Music Row Radio. And once again, thanks to the listeners for asking for Blue Collar. I really appreciate it. That's awesome. Well, Kevin, brother, it's been great to visit with you, and uh, I hope you have a great rest of your week. 
All right, I will do that. I uh, got to go write some songs and, uh, you know, rinse and repeat. If you're going to steal your kid's Halloween candy, here are the ones they'll be most upset about. Because someone polled 700 kids between 8 and 14 and gave them a series of candy matchups. For example, what's better, Kit Kat or Snickers? Well, all 76 candies in the poll were then ranked by winning percentage, and according to the results, here are the 10 Halloween candies that kids like best. Number 1. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups They won 76% of their matchups. Number 2. M&M's 73% Number 3. Milky Ways 71% Number 4. Hershey Bars 70% Number 5. Kit Kats 68% Number six, Gummy Bears, 67%. Number seven, Hershey's Kisses, 67%. Number eight, Reese's Pieces, 66%. Number nine, Peanut M&M's, 66%. And number 10, Twix, 66%. Now, Snickers, Starburst, Skittles, Crunch Bars, Jolly Ranchers, and Nerds also made the top 20. And of the 76 candies they looked at, Black licorice came in last. Now the rest of the five worst Halloween treats are sugar-free gum, an apple, mixed nuts, and mints. It is our monthly visit with our good friend, Meathead Goldwyn. He is uh, not only a new National Barbecue Hall of Fame member, he is a national treasure. I will, I'll go to the bank. He's a national treasure, a barbecue icon, the creme de la creme, and uh, my, my favorite that I came up with today, he is the corps d'elite when it comes to barbecue. Meathead Goldwyn and <laughs> Meathead, I told you to prepare yourself for it. Well, why do I? Then how come I still got to pick up the dog poop in the yard and take out the trash? <laughs> you, we haven't won your wife over with the idea no, yet. No, no, she's not going <laughs> to. Well, first off, uh, you you are now a Hall of Fame member since last time we talked, and yes. uh, I, yep. I wanted to start off. I know we got something else we're going to delve into. Uh, your thoughts on be, being a, a Hall of Fame member now, and uh, and. And what's been going on for you since we spoke last? Well, it's it's quite an honor. There are only 25 living members of the Barbecue Hall of Fame, um, and uh, they include some of the great, great barbecue cooks and restaurateurs and competitors out there. And uh, I don't know that I deserve to be in their company, but I'll take it. Um, and uh, it was uh, quite a very pleasant surprise. Um, uh, but uh, not totally a surprise. Our website, AmazingRibs.com, has very great reach. I mean, we have over a million visitors a month. So we've, we've probably taught more people about barbecue than anybody. Um, and then on my relationships with people like you. Um, uh, so I've, 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 I've done a little bit to, to get the word out there about how much fun it is and how to do it right. And of course there's my book, which is uh, uh, sold almost a quarter of a million copies. So um, I guess that's what got me in. <laughs> you're, you're so uh, you're so humble about uh, about your abilities, but uh, we all know we all know me. I'll, I'll tell you the real benefit for being in the Hall of Fame when the goofballs show up on YouTube or in Wikipedia and want to argue with me. I can always say, dude, when you're in the Hall of Fame, <laughs> you can argue with me. <laughs>
I love it. I love it. Now, whenever we were talking about what we were going to discuss today, uh, we all use it. We all use it in our cooking and uh, salt. I wanted to just get your thoughts. I know the FDA made uh, release some guidelines yesterday, and we want to talk a little bit about that as well. Yeah, um, I call salt the magic rock. Um, It's it's a quandary. it is essential for us. Now, I'm not going to dwell on the health aspects because I'm not a, a health expert or a diet uh, uh, expert. Um, and in fact, I don't know that many people are. But uh, <laughs> uh, um, we, we know it's essential for our nervous system, uh, our nerves function, because salt uh, transmits electricity. And um, uh, we know that it's crucial that we eat salt because our body doesn't manufacture salt. Um, uh, we have to consume it. And salt is in all of our uh, body parts. It's in all of our fluids. It's in our tears. It's in our mucus. It's in our saliva. It's in our blood. It's in our semen. It's everywhere in our body. So you have to consume it. But if you consume too much, it is believed it can cause blood pressure problems and mm-hmm. cardiovascular disease. Um, so the FDA is concerned that um, we're consuming too much. Their guideline is is one teaspoon or 2,300 milligrams per day. And uh, they uh, point out that things like some Quiznos subs have 3,700 milligrams in it in just one sub, that the nine inch uh, pizza from um, uh, what the whose pizza is it? It's the uh, Pizza Hut personal nine inch panoramas pizza has 3,600 milligrams. Uh, which is almost double our our daily allocation. They claim that 70% of the salt we consume is in processed foods, manufactured foods, and foods from restaurants. And that means only 30% of it is coming from what we cook with. And that's good because salt is not only crucial for our bodies and our health, but salt is a vital part of good cooking. Salt, I call it the magic rock because one of the things that salt does is when you sprinkle it on meat, for example, it can penetrate very deep into meat and it can alter the structure of the proteins so that it helps it hold on to moisture. So salt helps make meat more moist and a little more tender, um, whereas garlic and sugar and all your other spices, their molecules are too large. Salt is just two little atoms, mm-hmm. sodium and chloride. Um, and uh, when they get wet on the surface of meat, they get an electric charge and they go deep. But all the other molecules, sugar is 23 atoms. They can't penetrate very far beyond the surface. There's little tiny microscopic pores and cracks and crevices in the surface of meat, and they can get in there, but they rarely go more than a 16th to an eighth of an inch deep. And you can prove this by get yourself a turkey breast or a hunk of pork loin and sprinkle every herb and spice on your spice rack on it, cook it, and then slice into it. And you'll see, and if you taste, um, you won't taste any garlic or sugar down in the center. They don't penetrate. You gotta be careful when you slice that your knife doesn't push it down in there. But if you taste that core sample, you won't taste it in there. So salt is a treatment for the inside of the meat whereas all the other stuff is a treatment for the outside of the meat. And that's a really important culinary concept. And the rule of thumb um, that I like to give, now we standardize in all my recipes on 
Morton Coors Kosher Salt. And that's not because Morton pays us anything. It's just that Morton's, it, it's got a nice large grain size and it's easier to sprinkle than table salt, which is a smaller. Right. It's also half as much sodium as table salt. So a pinch of Morton's is half as much sodium as table salt. And our rule of thumb is a half a teaspoon of Morton's Coors Kosher Salt per pound of meat. And that will penetrate. It will do the um, protein trick. And, uh, and it, amp- it turns up the dial. It amplifies flavor. Uh, turns the dial up to 11. Um, and uh, it, so salt is crucial in cooking. But you want to use it uh, judiciously. And you want to not worry about using salt in the kitchen. You want to worry about the salt that you get from processed foods, from packaged foods, and from restaurants. Well, one of the, one of my concerns about salt, and uh, I'm glad you haven't covered it yet, is I've always been concerned about putting salt on the meat before I put it on the grill. Is, is it does it have? I was always concerned, and and have heard people say that it dries the meat out, especially on the grill. Is that is there any truth no. to that? No, that's an old that's an old uh, husband's tale. It's a it's a myth. Um, the um, the salt will penetrate, and it actually does the opposite. It retains moisture. Now. If you sprinkle a lot of rubs, when you buy a bottle of rub, it's also a mixture of salt and herbs and spices. And when you sprinkle that on, you may see liquid come out of the meat, but it's not the salt that's pulling it out. It's the other stuff that pulls it to the surface because the other stuff can't go in. The salt is going in. So it's a really good idea to do what we call dry brining. And dry brining is sprinkle the salt on a few hours before you cook. It depends on the thickness. If you've got a one inch thick steak, an hour or two before you cook, the salt will penetrate. It will do its magic. Um, if you've got a slab of ribs, which is thin, yeah, an hour, maybe half hour before you cook. Um, but uh, it doesn't matter when you put the other stuff on there because it can't penetrate. So you can put it on just before you cook. Uh, if you've got something very, very thick, like a pork loin or a, um, a turkey breast, uh, give it several hours, six hours or overnight, but it, 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 it will not dry it out at all. What are some of the other misconceptions that you've heard and had to deal with in the, in the grilling process about salt? Um, well, that's the main one. Um, and, and then the health concerns people um, are worried. I, I, I know there's a member of uh, my family who has tried to cut salt out of her diet and you can't, I mean, in fact, if you do, you can be subject to some serious illnesses. Mm-hmm. As I said, you need salt for your nervous system to function. Um, so, um, and, and, and almost all of our recipes contain salt, but in a judicious fashion. Um, that half a teaspoon per pound is not a lot. Um, and it won't get you into trouble uh, uh, dietary-wise. Uh, and, and I think these, these latest numbers from uh, FDA bear that out. So... Um, use the salt, use it judiciously, not a lot, just just sprinkle it on the way you would normally do it at the table. If it tastes too salty, you're using too much. Now, I've also, uh, you talked about the the salt. Do you, have you done any of the like salt crusted, uh, like fish on the grill? Is that something that you've, uh, you've delved into as well? I'm sure. Yeah, of course. I've tried it all. (laughs) It's fun. Um, you can take a piece of beef or fish and um, get some um, salt. Uh, you get large grain salt, uh, and you and you and you get it wet. You turn it into like a uh, a slurry, a, a mud, and you you can pack it around 
um, fish or a, or, a, or a steak and just drop it right on top of the coals. You don't even need to put it on the grates. You put it right on top of the coals and it protects it from charring, from burning. And it does allow salt to penetrate. What's fascinating about it is, is the process makes the meat a little on the salty side, but not a lot. You would think it makes it really <laughs> over the top salty. It doesn't. Um, it, it seems to regulate itself during the cooking process. There's another cool trick that you can do. Uh, you can buy Himalayan salt blocks um, and, 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 they're, and, and they're, you know, like eight inches by eight inches and two inches thick. And it's a pink salt. Um, and, and that's not to be confused with pink salt, which is used in, in curing meats like bacon. This is a different kind of salt. And you, you can get these blocks and heat them up in the oven or on the grill, and then you can bring them to the table and put it in the center of the table on a, on a pad so you don't burn the table. And you can cook on them just like you would, uh, uh, you know, in a, um, a fondue or something. You can put <laughs> slices of meat on there. And it's a lot of fun. I mean, you get the thin slice of meat and it just sizzles away and browns and it does absorb salt, but not too much. Fascinating. It's kind of a regulatory self-regulating process. Um, I love playing with the salt block because that's a, you know, participatory cooking there. <laughs> who, who knew the, uh, the pink sea salt parties? Who knew that was even a thing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you just sit around. Uh, I did that once. I got my hands on real Japanese Kobe beef. Now, there's a lot of stuff that they call Kobe in the U.S., but it's probably not. It's from the same breeds of the animal that comes from Japan. Um, it, it tends to have a lot of fat. And because it has a lot of fat, it's very juicy, very tender and very flavorful. Um, uh, but real Kobe beef is very, very hard to find in the U.S. And I got my hands on some. And so I, I, I it was like I had two ribeyes. And so I had a couple of friends over and I got that salt block thing going and I sliced it into thin slices and we just sat around and took our time because this stuff is so rich. It's like eating a stick of butter. I mean, uh, <laughs> now we're talking a health hazard, <laughs> but um, it's it just unctuous. It just really coats the mouth and it's marvelous flavor. It's something, you know, if you um, get a chance to do it, it's very expensive. But it's it's one of those flavors that uh, put it on your bucket list if, if you can afford it and you have a chance like you're in a restaurant that's offering um, Kobe. And sometimes they serve it with a hot rock or a, uh, a hot metal platen so you can cook it right there at hmm. your table like that. Uh, it, it's worth trying because it's an extraordinary flavor. Now, are there uh, I know that there's different varieties of fish do different with salt with other things are there any particular ones that you like to do the salt crusting on on a fish is there a certain variety no you know i've done it for the fun of it to try it but i don't do it much anymore um because one of the problems with it is um and we've talked about this before but it bears repeating is when food browns um it browns from infrared radiation and it browns from glowing coals or flame. Um, you can't brown a steak by putting it in the oven, 
but you can brown a steak by putting it in a hot pan, or you can brown a steak by putting it over glowing coals or over flames on a gas grill. That's infrared radiation from the flames and the coals. And that browning is the chemistry of the food changing. It's called the Maillard reaction. And there's a secondary reaction that takes place called caramelization. And both of them turn the, the, the food brown. And you see it when you toast a slice mm -hmm, of bread, mm -hmm. it browns. And brown flavors have um, a lot more complexity, a lot more interest. Um, toasted bread has more complexity than plain white bread. Um, and the same thing with meat. I mean, when you do a, a, a beef roast, what's the best part of the beef roast? The end cut, you know? Um, so uh, you can't get that browning when you wrap it in salt. Um, it, it, it's more like steaming it. And that's right. really kind of what that crust does is holds in on moisture. And now there's nothing wrong with steaming food because it, it, it's an extraordinarily moist pro uh, product when you're done. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I'm a barbecue guy. I'm a grill guy. I love, I love my brown food. <laughs> <laughs> Something to be said about that. Uh, now also, I know, uh, we, we talked, uh, hall of fame induction, all that taking place, but we still, uh, what's the latest on the, the sauces and rubs. I see them over there by your book. Uh, I always want to give an opportunity to, to talk about the, uh, the progress there as well. We're probably going to have them on the market uh, this month. Probably when I talk to you next month, I'll be able to tell folks that it's available. Um, they're not quite ready yet. Um, we're working with the manufacturer. They're in Kansas City, although the sauce is being made um, in Tulsa That's um, awesome. by Head Country. Um, so we've contracted with Head Country. We gave them our recipe and uh, they've made the sauce for us. So uh, hopefully it'll be out um, this month. Uh, it, it's been a fascinating process. We've never done this before going through. Here's our recipe, tasting it. Well, that doesn't taste like my recipe. <laughs> uh, you know, adjustments, more salt, less salt. Um, we had to adjust the salt in it. It's a little low on salt. You have to have salt in the rubs because people don't know about the process we just talked about. You add the salt separate from the other stuff. You got to put them all together in one bottle. Right. But we've kept it on the low side because, right? you know, you can always add salt, but you can't take it away. So um, uh, it, it's been a fascinating process. Uh, um, it, it's, it's not for the faint of heart, but uh, we're very happy with the uh, end product when it comes out. And uh, I'll make sure you get some. There you go. And we, we always talk about the grill. I, I, it's become a, a favorite part of mine is letting you talk about what your latest veggie creation is. What, uh, what veggie grilling we got to talk about oh, for, dear. Well, uh, for October. I'm in the Chicago area, and so it's coming on wintertime, and um, uh, my wife is a master gardener. I mean, there actually is a degree you can get called master gardener, and um, uh, she's been um, uh, bringing in eggplants, and um, uh, the last of the tomatoes are almost done, and um, squash. And uh, we've been having fun with the squash, uh, slicing it into thin slices, um, and uh, uh, painting it, you, often I do like a teriyaki paint, hmm. a little sweetness in there um, on the grill. Um, eggplant, you can do egg. In fact, I know I've mentioned this on the show before, but on our website, amazingribs.com, and in my book, Meathead, 
there's a recipe for eggplant parmesan on the grill and it's marvelous and it's you know it i like it better than the standard eggplant where it's fried because eggplant just soaks up the oil mm-hmm. um and this is very very little oil um it's got a homemade tomato sauce and cheeses on oh it's just wonderful stuff uh veggies on the grill are a lot of fun but it's you know it's 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 tailgate season and maybe that's what we talk about next month uh um it's time to start uh uh getting ready for uh uh well getting ready for her we're mid we're mid-season already uh, <laughs> uh i've been following oklahoma this year uh, uh a little bit of controversy out there last week but uh Golly, they're they're on fire, aren't they? We we survived. We survived a couple of games. Yeah, uh, yeah. still undefeated. We'll see how long that lasts, right? Uh, they're ranked in the top five, aren't they? Yep, number four. Yeah, yeah. So it'll it'll be fun. Uh, I'm a Gator, and uh, you guys whooped up on us last year in the bowl <laughs> games. But that's because our our three top receivers decided they didn't want to play because they're getting ready for the pros. Because they knew the played. Sooners were coming to town. That's what and it was. Come on, Meathead. <laughs> well, Meathead, always uh, always want to make sure and uh, give folks the, the website address. I know they can find uh, more info about the sauces, the rubs, as those become available, the book, Meathead, and uh, and everything else, my friend. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, website's amazingribs.com. Um, and if you Google just about anything related to barbecue, they'll take it to us. That is right. Well, Meathead, always good to visit with you, my friend. And uh, yeah, we're already, I, I guess we'll talk some mid-season tailgating next month. Yeah, yeah. Now, this is pretty interesting, especially on the heels of all that news about how Facebook has known its algorithms aren't good for people. A study in Australia found 46 distinct ways that social media is bad for us. Everything from affecting our mental health to security issues and how it makes us less productive at work. And they split them up into six different categories. Number one, the cost of social exchange. It's a catch-all for things like wasting time and energy on social media. And also psychological harm like making us more jealous and anxious. Number two, annoying content. That includes anything that annoys, upsets, or irritates you. So basically, anything you didn't want or expect to see on there. Number three, privacy concerns, meaning the real threat of your personal information being repurposed or shared with third parties. Number four, security threats. That's only mostly about scammers or other people who might lie or deceive you on social media. Number five, cyberbullying. That one's pretty straightforward. Anything that has to do with harassment, abuse, lying, stalking, or spreading rumors. And number six, low performance, meaning it tends to distract us and makes us less productive at work or in school. Friend of the show and uh, man life, he's uh, an influencer, a um, digital media mogul. Uh, There's so many ways we could describe him. Jason Peterson back with us. and, And first off, Jason, thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Now, Jason, I know last time we visited, we kind of talked about uh, the the global music music market and uh, and how Go Digital and and what you're doing kind of fits into the grand scheme of things. And I wanted to talk kind of the streaming wise. Do you think how do you see streaming as a result of what we've all gone through in the pandemic? How do you see that moving forward in the coming years? 
That's a great question. A lot of interesting things happened with streaming during the pandemic. So for music, every day looked more like the weekend for people in terms of listening habits, the playlist they're listening to, the time of day they were listening, the amount of listening. So that was interesting. And then on video, we saw just a tremendous increase in consumption. And, uh, and that has, has largely stayed. So that's been very healthy for the video streaming market. Now, how do you see streaming with uh, what we've seen with cable and satellite and stuff like that? I know a lot of folks don't have cable or satellite anymore, and a lot are going to the streaming services. Do you see that being maybe a downfall for the, the, the regular cable that we've known uh, so far, if you will? That's an incredible question. So going back to the 1980s and even prior, right, we had three major broadcasters, four with Fox, then came cable, and it exploded to hundreds of channels. And the beautiful thing about the cable television industry in the United States and abroad was it was built on the business model of we as consumers paying for all the content we do not watch. That's important. So let me repeat that. We as consumers paying for all the content we do not watch. So here in the United States, for example, every cable bundle has ESPN. You're paying something between 5 and $7 a month in your cable bundle for ESPN, whether or not you watch one minute of ESPN during your monthly billing cycle. And this is a healthy thing for consumers and for the industry because what happens is it guarantees income for content distributors and producers. And as a result, we as content distributors and producers can go out and make significant investments in programming, whether it's sports, whether it's, uh, you know, original, uh, you know, narrative, long form or episodic programming. This content's expensive. And knowing that we have a guaranteed revenue stream at scale is extraordinarily helpful for the ecosystem. Now, what happened with the Internet and streaming is that uh, with the rare exception of uh, Ajit Pai, the uh, FCC chairman after Tom Wheeler during the Trump administration, with the rare exception of him, the internet has been neutral, meaning that Verizon spent $30 billion building Fios, their fiber optic to the home internet solution, provides gigabit internet speeds to the home. And anybody who wants to offer content to that home can ride on the top of that wire without having to pay Verizon for the infrastructure, the internet's neutral. Verizon can't block Netflix from reaching a home that Verizon spent a ton of money to put in a fiber optic cable to. Mm -hmm. And that disrupted the entire business model. Because now people could get content from competitors who had an entirely different cost base than the cable company. And that caused what I like to call the great unbundling. Right. Well, now we have a la carte channels available. You've got Disney Plus and HBO Max and Netflix and Amazon and everything under the sun is available a la carte. But it's actually a worse value proposition to the customer because the average customer, if you look at PwC and Deloitte studies, watch something like 13 channels a month <laughs> traditionally on cable. How much would it cost? Cameron, if, if you bought 13 a la carte channels, Disney Plus, HBO, whatever, it would be more than the cable subscription. Right. So the bundle is good for consumers. The bundle is good for distributors and producers. 
And I predict we will go back through a rebundling. The delivery mechanism will be over the top. It'll be on the internet side of the pipe. And that will help us have better user experiences, right? We have cloud DVRs now, and we've got, you know, these really slick YouTube TV has a really slick user interface. Mm -hmm. These are things the cable companies weren't traditionally great at. So I think we'll have a rebundling in a in an internet delivered video streaming environment. That's the end game. I think that's going to be a lot better for the consumer and a lot better for the industry. So do you think that the the cable and the television sides, they've taken kind of cues from the music distribution platforms to kind of come to where they're, where they're at right now? Music definitely went first. File sizes are smaller. So when network speeds were still developing, it was natural that music would be the first to go digital. Uh, there are some significant differences in the structure of the industry. So for example, with rare exception, there's not really exclusive content in music on any given platform. Apple and Spotify right. have the same content. Whereas in the video environment, right, exclusive content is the differentiator. You have originals at Netflix and HBO and Disney and Showtime, et cetera, that are intended to drive subscribership and subscriber retention because you can't get them anywhere else. And if they're culturally significant, people are going to want to watch them, right? They subscribe to HBO for Game of Thrones or <laughs> they subscribe to Billions for Homeland or, or so they subscribe to Showtime for Billions or Homeland. Uh, and so that's a very different model. That is right. Now, how do you see things? I know that you also in uh, in the pandemic time, you guys have uh, have picked up the yoga works. And, and I love how you guys have kind of changed the mindset around that business model as well. Thank you for the kind words. Yeah, Yoga Works was uh, the nation's largest in-studio yoga business. They created yoga as we know it in the United States in the 1980s. And uh, when the pandemic happened, they obviously had to shut their studios. And we had the opportunity to buy them. And we transformed them into what I like to say is uh, we aspire to be the Peloton of yoga, right? A, a digital native uh, technology-enabled service. People can log in and do live or on-demand yoga from any device anywhere in the world. And I've been talking to two to three customers a day. I've talked to folks in Oman and Italy and France, all over the United States. And, and the, the refrain that I keep getting from them is they love being able to use any device. It's very common to use an iPad to, to do yoga anytime, any place. They could be traveling. They could not have the time to go to the studio. They could be in their office and just need a break for 20 minutes to recharge. And they can do yoga. And and yoga is an important part of, of everyone's movement diet. And I firmly believe, and, and there's a big study of, over many decades at Harvard that strongly suggests that when we stop moving, we start dying. So continuing to move and having a, a healthy movement diet is part and parcel to having a healthy long life. And Jason, over the pandemic, uh, obviously businesses have had to to reimagine, reinvent things. What are maybe some of the biggest inspirations that you've had, or or maybe some aha moments that uh, that maybe led to some new ideas uh, as of late? Wow, what an interesting question. Uh, it's been fascinating to see who was vulnerable and who was not vulnerable. And on the other hand, who was able to go to this work from home, remote work paradigm easily and who wasn't. 
So my favorite entrepreneur, a guy I've always wanted to meet and never have, is uh, is Richard Branson. Yeah, one of the reasons I I like Richard so much is that he appears to always have fun in everything he's doing. But it was also a hard time for a lot of his companies, and he just launched a cruise line. And one of the things Virgin always does really well is, is create this user experience that is exceptional and it's on brand. And and uh, and he's had these uh, one or two enormous ships sitting in Florida, uh, I'm sure costing an absolute fortune to maintain, and they've not been able to run cruises, right? So on the one hand, uh, you know, it, it reinforced the notion to me that being in the intellectual property business is a great place to be. It's just less risky. Now, that said, when you're in the intellectual property business, it's really the law and the courts that create the value. So there's an adage in real estate that if you're involved in real estate, you're involved in politics. I think that applies to intellectual property. You know, I've learned now through the pandemic and pre-pandemic that if you're involved in intellectual property, you've got to be involved in politics, right? We're in Washington. We're lobbying for the law. We're using the court systems to try and uphold the law. Uh, so that, that's been interesting. And then, you know, a lot of old line companies, uh, friends of mine, even some companies we bought, you know, they had a very on premise in office culture, whereas go digital generally is all in the public cloud. We're completely diversified all over the world. We have people all over the world. Uh, and so it's been, it's for us, it was not disruptive at all. When, when everyone went work from home, we were like, fine, close the office. We never went back. Uh, and we have 500 people. But uh, a lot of companies, you know, that was really challenging. And so I think moving to the cloud and virtualizing everything in the cloud in a secure way, security is really important, uh, is uh, is a notion that has become very, very important. And and for me, I've I've been around the the music industry and the the radio side of things for about twenty years. And you you talk about the people talk about the cloud. It still makes me a bit nervous. How do you <laughs> how do you bring the idea of the cloud? I know you talked about being safe, having all the safeguards in place. How do you make a, an old dog like me feel a little bit more comfortable in that, if you will? Well, I think it comes down to people, right? You know, we have to have the right people in your ecosystem to help you do that. And I remember before public cloud was what it is today, we actually owned and operated our own private cloud. And it was inside of a uh, data center uh, company's facilities called Equinix, which is basically a company that sits at the intersection of the private networks that, that create the internet. The internet is nothing, by the way, but an interconnection of private networks, right? You've got mm-hmm. AT&T's networks and WorldCom's networks and You've got these big backhaul providers who have, they basically own the freeways. Then you have these guys that own the last mile of the home. It's just an interconnection of private networks. And so we've evolved from private cloud to public cloud. And uh, so I think it's about people. It's about having the right people in your orbit that can help you do that. Security is really important, right? We do two and three factor authentication. Uh, you know, even having a text message come to your phone as a second factor isn't really that secure. I've heard cases where, somebody uh you know a criminal knows somebody's phone number and they've been able just to go down to the uh to the phone store some telecom provider and literally switch your number to their phone and move it to a new sim card on their phone and if they crack your email they can now send uh send that two-factor authentication code to the phone your phone that they control and so we use a thing called ub keys which is a little usb dongle you have to plug in there's also rsa tokens that you can put on your keychain and they have a 
algorithm that shows a new code, a new six-digit code every uh, 30 seconds or so. Um, and so, that, you know, those are those are important security protocols. Uh, but it's it's about people. You know, find the right people in your orbit. And Jason, how hard is it to stay on top of the security side of things? I know that everything's always changing. And I think maybe that's for, for us older in the audience. That's what's kind of a little bit scary is because everything tends to change. And how hard is it to keep up with all the ever changing uh, environment? It's hard. It's hard. Uh, you know, I am surprised. I guess we had a certain scale at some point, but I'm surprised at the complicated schemes that hit our company just the other day we had an important youtube channel get hijacked uh, because one of our employees in columbia uh somebody somehow installed some malware in their computer that was able to gather enough information i don't know if it was keystroke logging or what but it gathered enough information that they were able to log into one of our youtube a professional youtube account and lock us out, basically. And they took all the content down and they put up some kind of uh, crypto, um, you know, promotional materials. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a whole problem. Uh, luckily, that person didn't have financial system access or anything like that. But uh, you have to be really careful. You know, don't, if you get an email, ask yourself, is this somebody I know in the line of the email or says the name? Always open that up to see what the actual address is because they can spoof the name but they can't spoof the address and if it says jason peterson and it's j123 at you know some domain you've never heard of that's not actually me that's somebody trying to act like they're me so always check that address check the vernacular the way it's written does it sound like me if you know me you know what my <laughs> voice sounds like about the way i would write um you know always use two-factor authentication if you can use uh, a hard uh, authentication asset like a YubiKey or an RSA token, that's great, because then it requires that they have physical possession of that. Uh, and don't visit websites that, uh, that are questionable, right? That, that's another thing. Don't download apps that are that are questionable, that are outside the, uh, the app ecosystem, you know, the Google Play Store or Apple Store. Um, and when there's a financial transaction involved, call the person. Call the person to make sure that what you were sent if you're wiring money or whatever is in fact correct and uh, don't send passwords over email. Like if you send somebody a, a link, here's, you know, log into my, here's my data room, send them the password over WhatsApp or send them the password over some other, you know, Slack or some other message, right? So you've got, you don't have all the information that somebody needs in one place to crack your, uh, crack your security. That is right. Just a couple of ideas to be thinking of out there. And Jason, I, I know if, if folks want to find more information about, about Go Digital, about Yoga Works and all that, where's the best place to keep up with, uh, with the latest info that you guys have? GoDigital.com is the uh, domain. My uh, LinkedIn is uh, LinkedIn slash uh, Jason Pet, J-A-S-O-N-P-E-T. And you can find me on Instagram at USC Jason Peterson. All right. Well, Jason, it is always great to visit with you, sir. I love uh, getting into knowledge base that you've got. Uh, appreciate you sharing some of that with us today. And hopefully, brother, we can catch up again real soon. Appreciate your time. We'll talk soon. If you're still working from home a year and a half later, you've probably gone through two distinct stages, finding out that it's worse than expected and then figuring out how to make it better than expected. 
But a new survey of people who are still working remotely, some aspects of communal office life can't be replicated. 7 in 10 people say they feel more isolated than they did in the office. And more than one-third miss social events, including face-to-face -face meetings, 39%, office celebrations, 35%, and after-work happy hours, 34%. 63% of people said they feel less engaged with their team, and get this, two-thirds say they work directly with someone who they wouldn't be able to pick out of a lineup and recognize by name only. And that's a little hard to believe after less than two years of working remote, unless the lineup was packed with lookalikes. But it makes more sense if you're in a new job or are now working with people you haven't met in person. A majority of people working from home say that some of these issues could be fixed with better quality communication. A friend of the show as well. I can definitely call her a friend of the show. Paige King Johnson with us. And Paige, always good to see you, my friend. So good to see you. I wish, like, I so wish that this whole past year and a half, almost two years, just wasn't a thing and we could, like, see each other in person. <laughs> but I'm grateful to be able to see you at least a that's, little bit. That's right. And uh, Paige obviously got some new music to talk about. And uh, this uh, exciting times, uh, this one, you got some big name writers on this one, too. Tell, tell our listeners a little bit about, uh, let me see, is it, is it Baby Don't? Baby Don't, yeah. Baby I, don't. I, I'm like, is it Baby Don't or Please Don't? It's Baby Don't. Yeah. No, uh, so this song uh, is the first song that I ever recorded that I was not a writer on myself, which was kind of, you know, new territory for me. But um, I've been working with Miss Pam Tillis over the past year or so now, and she's been a, a friend first and a mentor second to me. and um, she knew I was kind of looking for music and working on some new stuff. And she came across this song and she sent it to me and she goes, Paige, I just heard this song and it sounds just like you. She said, uh, if you don't record it, you're crazy. And so I was like, <laughs> well, maybe I can listen to it. And um, so I listened to it and I pulled it up and it said on the thing, it said writers, Lori McKenna, who is my top number one, you know, she's the queen of my songwriting world. Um, and then Liz Rose and Hillary Lindsay. And I was like, there is no way. But uh, somehow <laughs> there was a way. And I fell in love with the song and we took it into the studio. And um, it's just such a fun, it was such a fun one to, to bring to life in the studio. So um, we knew that, you know, this one had to see the light of day. And the the feel, the energy of it as well. It's just a, a feel-good song. And coming out of what we're coming out of, I mean, Paige, we, we got to have a little feel-good, don't we? Yes, you can uh, preach that one over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> now, what is, you know, some folks have had a, had a difficult time in pandemic. I know you've had a lot of successes in pandemic, a lot of a lot of big things happen in life for you, and uh, how does that make your 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 mentality change looking back, if you will? Um, I feel like you know, overall, this whole time in in COVID world has not been the most ideal thing for everybody. But um, I'm very much an optimist, and I try to you know see the light and everything. And so um, there are a lot of positive things that I do think have come out of COVID. And I think a lot of people will be, you know, quick to admit to that. Um, we all kind of needed a reset, I think. And so it gave me time to be able to 
um, get out of Nashville for a little while. And I got to come back to my roots in North Carolina um, and spend time with family and kind of like reset myself as an artist as well. And um, I definitely think that that has influenced my writing and the way that uh, when I got back into the studio, kind of the way that we approached music. And so um, it's given me a little bit of, you know, a refresh on everything and, and who I am as an artist and where I came from. And, um, you know, getting back to your roots does a lot of that for you. Now, how has how has inspiration? I mean, I talked to songwriters, whether it's pre-pandemic, during pandemic or whatever. How has maybe the inspiration or the ideas, how have those changed in your mind over uh, since we last spoke? Yeah, uh, well, there's definitely a lot more because we had a lot of time to be <laughs> right. And my inspiration comes from um, those times whenever I am still and I'm able to do stuff and so um you know throughout this pandemic I've made myself try to get outside go on walks and all that stuff and I really find that that's where my inspiration comes from a lot of times and I'll always have my phone with me and I'll be walking and I'll be you know typing something down or I'll be singing something into my phone and like looking around thinking all these people <laughs> probably think but <laughs> but that's where a lot of the inspiration has come from for me and this time has really been um, very it, not inspirational because we weren't doing a lot of things, but it gave me time to be able to kind of like, okay, what are, what kind of songs do I want to say? What, what kind of stories do I have to tell? And, um, I ended up writing like 85 songs wow. over the last, in a year's time span, um, from March, 2020 to March, 2021. And then, um, over the summer, my, touring schedule thankfully kind of picked back up so I haven't been writing as much but um for that year it was crazy and you know you get some crap songs that come out of it <laughs> but you you get some good ones too and some of my favorite ones that I've ever written came out of that year of writing now how much are you relying on technology now that you weren't relying on before Aren't we all and like realizing <laughs> how ignorant we are when it comes to technology? Yep. That's been my situation of like, okay, here's another learning curve we have coming our way. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, now as as we get toward the end of 2021, obviously you've got the new single to talk about, and then obviously working into 2022. How is how is the game changing as, as we set to wrap up 2021 for you? Well, we, so obviously we're, we're putting out this single and then we have um, a music video coming with the single that'll be later in the fall, which I'm really excited about. Um, I was able to work with Miss Pam Tillis again on this video and she was just, she brought such a different aspect to this video and it was a lot of fun. So I'm excited for people to be able to finally see that. Um, and then, you know, fingers crossed, hopefully there's a lot of new music that I have up my sleeve. So we're, uh, we're hoping that by the beginning of 2022, that, um, we'll have some of those out and, you know, working towards a bigger project. There you go. Now you talked about working with Pam. What if, what have been some of the, the little tidbits that you've been able to pull from her that you've been able to apply things that maybe she was, uh, she was seeing in your demeanor or in, in your, uh, just in your everyday life that maybe wasn't coming up front, if you will. Yeah. Um, it's so cool to be able to have her on my side because she, 
um, was and still is a woman in country music. And, um, you know, there's a difference in the ways that males and females approach this in the way of touring and in the way of even like wardrobe and how you brand yourself and all that kind of stuff. And so to have her who has been through years and years of this in the country industry has just been such a blessing because she will kind of like bring light to things of like, Oh, you know, well, these outfits will work well for like when you're on the road or, um, you know, you can, you can pull yourself off as, you know, this way in music videos or in, um, you know, performance videos and it can come off well. And, you know, she has a lot of really cool, um, tips and tricks and she's a very honest woman too so she'll call me out on stuff real quick and I'm grateful for that because she's just um you couldn't ask for anything better than that and um you know she she believes in me enough and wants me to succeed and um so she will call me out on some things and say you know I made this mistake when I was young and if somebody would have told me you know do x y and z instead um, it could have saved me some heartache. So I've been really grateful for her in that way. Now, as the, the single, is it set to drop tomorrow? Am I right? Yes, it is. What kind of a rest schedule do you get after, do you sleep up to midnight and then wake up and you're, you're going to go for like three days now? Uh, I wish that was the case. I actually <laughs> have a show um, tonight, so I'll be playing that and then, uh, trying to come home and come down from that and get ready for all the things. I honestly, every single like release night, whenever we're preparing for it, I'd stay up until midnight. Cause there's always this fear in me that like the technology is going to crash and my song <laughs> won't be there. I think every artist has this fear, even though it's been triple, double, quadruple <laughs> check, everything. Um, And so I always stay up till midnight and I will like wait and then I'll go look it up on Spotify. I'll look it up on Apple Music. I'll look it up on Google Play, Amazon, all those places. And then I just make myself go to bed and I'm like, it'll all be here in the morning, but I need sleep. So uh, I try to take care of myself on the front end of things. (laughs) Now, how do you emotionally prepare yourself for the, for the day? I know that you're going to be getting you and you've got to know that you're going to be getting messages throughout the day and the fan reactions. And what, what's that like taking those in on release day as well? I mean, you always hope that you get, you know, those positive messages and, um, you know, people singing along to it already or whatever it may be. Um, but And I'm always so grateful for those because that's the validation that we look for as artists is that, um, you know, at the end of the day, we're hoping to just create music and put music out there that's relatable to people and something that they want to keep coming back to and something that they can sing to and dance to and have fun with. And so um, any messages or videos or anything that I get from from fans and friends and family, um, they mean the world to me. And, you know, people don't think that it does, but it, it truly does. That is cool. Well, we, we've talked about this thing. I wasn't sure whether we were going to ask you to play, but I was listening to it. I'm, I'm sure you caught it as you were coming in. It, it's one of my new, favorite new songs myself, and I would be remiss if I didn't allow you to give, oh. a, give a little tidbit to our, to our listeners. I think we can do that. <laughs> and if I have a guitar here anyways, why not, right? I know, right? <laughs> So uh, you can get it tonight at midnight. This is called Baby Don't.
from the bottle if you don't want to talk, want to kiss, want to find out, baby, what it is, what's going on in this room, all the chemistry between me and you, baby, don't, baby, don't let me linger any longer if you don't. can't find it anywhere till midnight tonight except for here how about that (laughs) well Paige, uh if folks want to uh, we want to make sure and let them know all the places to find the new single also uh the website social media all that stuff i want to make sure that uh, that we up that follower number as well right all the places yes uh you can follow me on facebook and instagram and youtube and even TikTok. I started TikTok. <laughs> I would never, but I did it. Um, and they're all just Paige King Johnson. And my website is pagekingjohnson.com. Easy enough. Easy yes. enough. You got you got to make it easy for us country fans, right? You do. Hey, I know that I have a hard enough time, so I try to make it easy on everybody else. <laughs> That's good. Well, Paige, it is always great to visit with you. Great to see you face to face again. It's been a minute. It has been. It's been a real long minute. So I'm I'm glad to be back. There you go. Well, Paige, congratulations on the new single. Love it. Can't wait to uh, to see the feedback you get tomorrow from that. And look forward to uh, to visiting with you again real soon, my friend. 
Well, thank you for having me. It's good to see you. And hopefully I will see you sooner than later. Well, thanks again for joining us for this 135th episode in Season 2 of Good Questions with Cameron Dole. If you ever have a comment, a question, or anything else you'd like to know, you can hit me up on the contact page at gqwithcam.com. You can also find me on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Facebook at gqwithcam. If you'd like to help out in the funding for this podcast, you can visit our merch store where we've got hoodies, mugs, shirts, tumblers, stickers, and lots more. That's gqwithcam.com forward slash shop. And if you have a special guest idea, email me gqwithcam at gmail.com. Do want to say thanks to our guests again for being on the show, including Forrest Galante, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, Kevin McCoy, Meathead Goldwyn, Jason Peterson, and Paige King Johnson. And we'd also like to say thanks to our good friend Brandon Allen for coming up with our theme music. We're going to let him play us out and hope you guys have a great rest of your Thursday.